Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series featuring discussions with the Middle East Forums projects. My name is Benjamin Baird. I'm the director of MEF Action, an advocacy project at the Middle East Forum. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes as we are joined by our guest, Mr. Jordan Cope, who is here to discuss Middle Eastern media conglomerates. At any point in this webinar, you can feel free to leave us a message in the Q&A box below. We'll try to get to as many of these as possible in order of relevance and uh, appearance. So we'll get started here. Jordan Cope is Director of Policy Education at Stand With Us. He's also the Qatari Finance Fellow here at the Middle East Forum. He studies Qatar's soft power efforts via charity and media organizations. He has a BA and JD from the University of Texas at Austin. Jordan, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yes, sir. Well, first, we're going to set uh, let you set the stage for us. Who are the big players in the Middle East when it comes to media and what are their goals? So I think it's important to analyze media outlets under two frameworks. First and foremost is the ideology. So what type of Islamism do they endorse? Do they endorse a Sunni style or do they endorse a Shia style? And then the second framework under which to analyze this is, is it a state sponsor who is sponsoring a network or is it a non-state actor such as a terrorist organization? Now, talking about the first framework, the Islamism framework, on one side of the spectrum, we have the Sunni spectrum. Under that category, we have countries such as Qatar with its Al Jazeera network and Turkey with its TRT world. And these countries share a lot in common when it comes to ideology. Both are supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood. During the Arab Spring, both supported the GNA government in Libya. And Turkey actually has a military base in Qatar. On the other side of the spectrum, we have Iran representing the Shiite revolutionary. And um, in essence, there's some common denominators. Generally, they're media outlets such as Press TV um, in Iran, at least, but all the media outlets under the Sunni and Shia spectrum generally, um, when they're state sponsored, resemble. Um, anti-Western views, anti-Israel views. There is some difference on the Sunni spectrum. You will see, for instance, them per se not necessarily broadcasting some Shiite revolutionary uh, developments, such as perhaps what we saw in Bahrain during the Arab Spring. And on the Shiite side of the spectrum, perhaps we will see um, less negative coverage when it comes to India, because Iran and India do enjoy some ties. So that's the first framework. The second framework is that of state-sponsored networks versus terrorism-sponsored or non-state actor networks. Generally, when it comes to state-sponsored networks, they try to influence the outside world, and they appeal in foreign languages, Western languages, whether that be English, Spanish, French, and we see that with multiple outlets. On the other side with non-state actors, we usually see them appealing in the local language in which terrorist organizations try to assert their control and jurisdiction and consolidate their views 
glorify terrorism and incite violence there and then. And so we see that amongst El Menar, Hezbollah's affiliated channel in Lebanon, um, El Aqsa TV in Gaza, where effectively there is no access to public, um, public television networks. And so I guess that's just the beginning framework under which to, to view everything under. Um, and there's, <laughs> there's obviously, it's interesting, sometimes the Sunni networks inspired the Shia networks. And so I'm sure many of you remember the Arab Spring and the contests for powers um, that ensued. And so Al Jazeera, five of its members defected to actually form effectively um, El Mayadeen, which is a Hezbollah-affiliated outlet. And so um, there's a, a lot to, to help, I guess, bring both spectrums together, and there's a lot of interlap. And so happy to answer any more questions you may have on that. Sure. Well, um, thank you, Jordan, first of all. My next question is, how do Middle Eastern countries rank as far as uh, press freedoms. People have this vision of the Middle East as a, a, a place where they don't enjoy the freedoms we do in the West. What, what's the story there? So if you look at Freedom House, I believe they do an analysis for independent media and country by country. And if you look at, at Qatar and Turkey, they rank one out of four. So very poor ratings. And when you look at Iran, actually zero out of four, um, some, some bad grades there. So when it comes to Qatar, I do know that there is a false news law on the books, apparently, that you can effectively end up in prison for promoting false news for a series of years, a fine up to $27,500. And media is, is definitely controlled in Qatar, both broadcast and print. Al Jazeera was actually founded by the Emir, sponsored by the Emir until 2018. And nowadays it falls under the uh, Al Jazeera media network, which still is very much connected to the royal family. In addition, we have in, uh, in Turkey, um, in 2018, there were approximately 200 media workers in jail. And this negative attitude towards opposition and independent outlets in Turkey perhaps was fueled by the 2016 um, coup attempt against Erdogan. Some suspect it was staged, but what it ultimately allowed was opportunity for Erdogan to close in on civil society, to purge members from civil society groups, including the media. And unto today, um, there is a lot of censorship, um, fines targeting um, media outlets that engage in opposition. Um, I do believe that of all 50 or so fines in the last year, all of them targeted about five companies, opposition um, outlets. And then lastly, we have Iran. And in Iran, you can't even have satellites in one's home. According to Freedom House, you uh, meet journalists face intimidation efforts, even those outside of the country. I believe at Iran International, some journalists have been threatened. Um, Freedom House reports of foreign having their relatives summoned. And so there's very limited freedom of expression in the Middle East other than in Israel. And it's unfortunately not an optimistic scene for the future.
I see. Um, is there any bright spots throughout the Middle East, anywhere we can look with optimism? Um, Saudi Arabia, other U.S. allies. Um, what do you think about that? I do think Saudi Arabia, and I've read the impact, say, reports about, at least in schooling, they're trying to purge their curriculums of, uh, of material that might be anti, um, that might be homophobic or anti-Semitic. And so I think that's a good trend in that sense. Regarding media outlets in the Gulf, some media outlets, such as El Arabiya, um, do sometimes relate more pro-Western uh, Western talking points. Um, El Arabiya apparently is actually nicknamed by some El Ibriya, which means the Hebrew, um, as a kind of way to mock it in, in terms of some of its narratives. There's still some, some room to grow in terms of how, I guess, terms such as occupation and whatnot are applied in, in terms of Middle Eastern context, but it generally is more favorable to American talking points than others. I see. Um, so you talked, you talked about Turkey and the deteriorating situation there. Um, Turkey's facing an election. Things could change. Do you see the media situation, the press freedoms getting better there? We'll have to wait and see for sure. I believe it's in three days from now. I did do some research on the, the main opposition leader. Turkey's generally not my, my strongest specialty, sure. but I do hear that he still harbors very anti-Israel views. Mm. And oftentimes Israel is seen as a litmus symbol for one's opinions on the West in the region despite mm. Israel not necessarily being the West. And so we'll have to wait and see. I'm holding my breath to see if he is elected, how he will actually engage with the West. Oh. Um, so it remains to be determined. But sure. what we do know is that Erdogan has been anything but good for press freedom in the region. So let's focus now on your specialty cutter. Uh, Al Jazeera International, and specifically its English language programming, uh, have achieved some success in the West. They're generally accepted as a mainstream international news operation. Is this a fair description? And please tell us about Al Jazeera's operations inside the United States. I would say Al Jazeera, in a terrible way, has been incredibly successful at promoting narratives that ultimately seek to undermine the U.S.'s alliance with its traditional allies, whether those be Israel or India. Oftentimes, Al Jazeera will promote or platform material that accuses those two countries or gets very close to accusing them of apartheid, genocide, ethnic cleansing, uh, segregation, and the like, settler colonialism in particular. And it's because those two countries represent important causes for much of the Sunni Islamist world in quote-unquote Palestine and quote-unquote Kashmir. And so ultimately what Al Jazeera does in Arabic is very different from what it does in English. Um, in English, it talks about on its platform such as AJ+, which is catered towards the youthful, the progressive audience. It talks about progressive themes and under American talking points, such as 
racial discrimination, police brutality, and the like. And launch religiously conservative anti-Semitic language. It refers recently referred to a Jew killed in Rehovo in these recent rocket attacks as a settler. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Rehovo is very much in the heartland of Israel, not even in the West Bank. And so you hear Al Jazeera referring to uh, chief, the chief bomb maker in the past of Hamas, Aya, Yahya Ayash, as a martyr. You see them celebrating on their Arabic channels, um, giving a birthday party to Samir Kuntara, released Hezbollah operative, later killed. But at this time, he had just been released for killing a father in front of his young daughter before then brutally killing that daughter. And there on that cake that Al Jazeera's reporter gave to him with an ensemble in the background and flares were pictures of him with Hassan Nasrallah, the secretary general of Hezbollah, with Marwan Barhouti at the um, of the um, Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades, and I believe Ahmed Sadat of the PFLP. So you're seeing very two very different narratives, and how do we understand what they're promoting? Well, look at what Qatar did over time. In 2003, it introduced Al Jazeera English, the same year of the Iraqi uh, war, effectively, when it began. One journalist at the time said that Al Jazeera is supposed to be Islamist, he said that it was against the Iraq war, and that's ultimately what it sought to do. It sought to change discourse on American initiatives in the region. It showed violent footage of war, which is inherently ugly, to convince people to be against America's intervention. In addition to that, according to Michael Rubin of AEI, Al Jazeera apparently would show up at spots that Americans received tips Americans would then be ambushed and Al Jazeera would film these booby trapped incidents and put them on live air to make Americans seem vulnerable and to probably encourage locals to attack Americans as well upon realizing their vulnerabilities. Al-Manar Hezbollah also did this in regards to Israeli soldiers, this tactic. But into the Arab Spring, we see Al Jazeera targeting Western minds more and more. As I mentioned, AJ Plus introduced in 2014 during the Arab Spring. Al Jazeera America introduced between 2013 and 2016. And just after the Arab Spring had ended in 2021, I believe, Al Jazeera, despite promoting progressive talking points, then sought to introduce conservative talking points through Al Jazeera Rightly, which didn't last long but they're targeting Western minds, the Qatari government. They target them primarily during the Arab Spring. Um, and I believe the Emir at Georgetown in 2015 or 16 or so mentioned something along the lines of, uh, we now realize um, actual quote. He talked about understanding that we have a lot of friends and the media can help us access that. So you've recently published an article uh, tying Middle East Eye, a popular print media company among American Islamists. It's something that American is, it covers American Islam and American Islamists quite frequently. Uh, but you wrote an article tying it to the Qatari government. Tell us about this lesser known news outlet and its alleged ties to Qatar. 
happy to. So it, it might be lesser known, but it's still all nonetheless very influential. I mean, its reports have been cited by the New York Times, the Brookings Institute, United Nation organs. And so just like Al Jazeera, Middle East Eye endeavors to portray Israel and India as states on the brink of genocide, apartheid, settler colonialism, and the like. What I ultimately discovered, and even though there has been previous research on how Middle East Eye has hired former Al Jazeera reporters, what I discovered is that currently there is a senior editor at Al Jazeera who's operating as an editor likewise at Middle East Eye. There should be a significant conflict of interest. There somehow isn't. And since Al Jazeera was literally created by the Emir, has been sponsored by the Qatari government since its, its inception, um, there's a significant conflict of interest in that either this reporter, us editor, Megan O'Toole, either has been given approval from her superiors at Al Jazeera to work for Middle East Eye, or if not that, that they must share such a similar mission that it's not a problem. I mean, I, I struggle to find any other alternative that would suggest that Middle East Eye doesn't have ties to the Qatari government by proxy via Al Jazeera, given that its mission often aligns in terms of its substance, in terms of its past reporters who move from Al Jazeera to Middle East Eye, and in terms of its concurrent uh, symbol in Megan O'Toole, who happens to just work for both, so. I see. So uh, during the Trump presidency, the federal government began a crackdown on foreign media, starting with Russia and China, but eventually Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern media were required to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Uh, which outlets were targeted here in the United States? And were these efforts uh, to sort of mitigate foreign media interference successful? So I believe Al Jazeera Plus was targeted and so was TRT World whereas TRT World actually registered under FARA, Al Jazeera Plus has refused to do so. And I believe there's currently a US Congressman, I think Jack Bergman, who's, who's trying to address that as we currently speak. There's also a Turkish state-sponsored entity, uh, I believe Anadolu Agency, um, that signed up under some similar guidelines, under the, some FCC guidelines, but it's, it's not quite the exact. But so far, entities state-sponsored-wise have refused to sign up, and it remains a big problem. So we've talked a lot uh, about hostile media in the region. Are there any examples of media that, if they aren't independent and impartial, are at least supportive of U.S. interest and opposed to terrorism and jihad. <clears throat> you mentioned Al Arabiya. Um, could you talk about them a bit and any other outlets? Right. So it did seem that Al Arabiya at the time very much raised awareness to Qatar's sponsorship of terrorism, um, did tend to address themes concerning the dangers of Iran. Um, there are some other outlets, actually American, that try to intervene um, in terms of promoting more neutral um, talking points back in the day. Al Horda um, in 2004 was introduced in the heat, I guess, at the beginning of the Iraq war. 
in Al-Sawa in 2002. Um, there were some problems, however, with these media outlets in that sometimes they were counterintuitive. Uh, they weren't properly monitored. And Al-Hura and Al-Sawa at times would feature, I believe, a militant on Al-Sawa who mentioned something along the lines of, in regards to the US intervention, that occupation is occupation, um, and something along the lines of wanting four more thousand troops dead. Um, regarding Al-Hura, there was a man, a uh, reporter who introduced the idea that there was insufficient evidence to conclude that the Holocaust actually happened. And so you had these dreadful comments being aired um, on American-sponsored TV that cost taxpayers, I believe, if, uh, and I'll double-check this, but I believe reading something along the lines of $500 million in its earlier years. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was disastrous in that sense, and it didn't really catch on, but there definitely is a strong need for free media in the Middle East and one that promotes truth, accuracy, um, which is largely needed. Thank you. Um, okay, we're going to jump into our audience questions here. Um, the first question is one that I, I plan to ask you myself, but they uh, Steve asked, does the VOA have any traction in the Muslim world? I think that's a subsidiary of Radio Free Europe, um, Farsi language media uh, targeting Iran. Uh, do they have any influence in the Muslim world? Right. So I, th I think it's a good question. As I mentioned earlier, Asowa is actually effectively a repackaging of VOA, but in Arabic to at least the Arab speaking world. Regarding main opposition influence, I would say Iran International remains the biggest um, influence when it comes to opposition in Iran and not VOA. And they do have a strong presence enough to the sense that the Iranian government has been intimidating um, some of their reporters. And so I would say VOA probably has some influence, but definitely not as much as does Iran International. Sure. Um, why does the Western media believe anything the Middle East news outlets report? This question comes from Jay. Well, when it when it comes to I guess I, I'm no journal I'm no official journalist as a as a strict job, but my understanding is when you want to try to assess and evaluate the truth, the first way is to go to local sources, and unfortunately, I just don't think many journalists know how to navigate which sources are reliable. And even when sources are sometimes reliable, when what they're reporting is actually truthful. And it's because often I feel journalists are trained to be journalists and not experts in the Middle East. And sometimes we just need to educate people how to be experts in a region first before they can become journalists there. Thank you. Daniel Pipes asks, please assess Qatar America, whose stated mission is, quote, creating, curating, and executing programs and research that amplify the prominence of art and culture from America, Qatar, and the Arab and Islamic worlds? Wow. <laughs> That's definitely a, a very good question. Qatar has definitely used, I think, art as a form of soft power in terms of trying to inspire curiosity in a country that's otherwise very repressive. They have a very well-known Islamic art museum in Doha. 
Um, but when it comes to freedom of expression at the end of the day, I think that the mission fails as we noted earlier. Um, I believe Freedom House gave it a ranking of one out of four. And so Qatar has used all sorts of means to try to inspire stronger relations with the West. It hosted the World Cup in 2022. Um, it's, it's definitely done a lot of other things to, to try to, to forge ties with the West, whether it be buying American military uh, technology, whether it be more on the art side, sponsoring $5 billion in funding to U.S. universities. I think Qatar USA's mission is just another part of this overall soft power effort to make Qatar appear as if it is an ally to the U.S., despite what we all know based off of what Al Jazeera's motives are and the fact that it helped harbor Khalid Sheikh Mohammed um, back in the day before 9-11. He was the mastermind eventually of 9-11. We know Qatar is not our ally, um, but nevertheless, they have to convince us through the arts, through sports, through business, uh, through lobbying that they are. And so I, I wouldn't regard it with much high praise. Uh, let's see. Steve asks, is the Israeli government aware of the threat represented by these outlets and what are they doing uh, to out it, to expose it? So is the Israeli government aware? Um, I'm going to say first, the U.S. government used to be aware. Um, the U.S. government, it's reported, potentially considered actually bombing Al Jazeera's bureau headquarters in Doha. I believe they did bomb its bureaus in Baghdad and Kabul due to the inciting factor that it had. Whether or not we endorse that is another question, but it, it definitely did have an inciting factor. Um, well, if we remember, I believe in 2021, there was a building that was targeted um, because it was, I believe, harboring ammunition or, or rocket launchers in which Al Jazeera was actually present in that building. Um, as to the actual details of the nature between, uh, I believe, Hamas and the PIJ's relationship with that building. Um, it's clear that uh, Hamas um, and PIJ members frequently appear um, on Al Jazeera. Ismail Haniya, the channel is so obsessed with him, the head of Hamas, um, that it actually once allowed him on air to congratulate Al Jazeera on winning the Africa Cup, which makes no sense. I think Israel's aware. I think Israel's learned over time about the Qatari threat, but it also understands that Qatar, Israel believes at least, that it is sometimes useful for helping channel aid. Um, but I think Israel's waking up more and more about the threat. And if I recall, some uh, somebody, I think, was it Yossi Cohen in the Mossad? Uh, previously in the Mossad, I believe, might have talked about um, realizing the Qatar threat later on the road. Our next question comes from Barry Werner. He asks, what about the internet media outlet called the New Arab? Are you familiar with this? I am familiar with the New Arab. Um, I believe, I'm trying to think if it is one of those that might be affiliated um, with what Khanfar, I need to do a little bit more research on it, but I do believe that I would still recommend doing more research to double check. It might have some ties to the Qatari government, um, but it's best for me to elaborate when, when I'm more expertised on that outlet. 
<clears throat> okay, we have a question here from international lawyer Andrew Rosemarine, who asks, what about BBC Arabic and Persian? Do you follow these outlets much? I do follow the outlets, and I was supposed to talk about Middle Eastern ones. I would definitely say uh, BBC Arabic's coverage often invokes very much of the same language that you see uh, from those that are anti-Israel, for sure. Um, BBC Arabia um, definitely is, is not favorable, and neither is sometimes BBC English. You sometimes question the disparity in the language between the politicians in the British government and the language coming out. I heard somebody in NPR discussing Israel's presence in the West Bank, which is disputed as occupied ones. And, and so definitely public broadcasting needs a revisit in terms of the language that it is using and whether it's actually consistent with the policies their government endorses. Sure. Um, so I'm gonna go back to Steve. He had a second part to his question. Um, and, and it's um, a very important one, I think. We talked about the Foreign Agents Registration Act, but what does it take ultimately to stop and counter uh, these hostile media organizations from the Middle East? So I'm as strong of a free speech proponent as it gets. It takes having outlets that help expose, that help raise awareness to, uh, the truth and inaccuracies, we need outlets that are dedicated to targeting the youth. Outlets need to adjust to be more amenable to social media, to fleeting attention spans, and they need to target in the languages necessary and the locations necessary, the target audience that we must target in order to inspire them. Um, to entertain more peaceful talking points, to entertain tolerance. And America could do a better job probably at having media outlets designed in Arabic and Farsi, uh, promoting what we believe is the truth here, um, given that we have such wide access to it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jordan Cope, for joining us today. Um, I think we covered a wide range of media outlets, even going to the Western media's influence inside the Middle East. Um, I also want to thank our viewers for tuning in. Of course, you can find uh, the Middle East Forums Project Director webinars on Mondays and Fridays, or uh, our review, a roundup of Israel on, on Wednesdays. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on Monday. Thank you very much.